Have you tried CTC math yet with your child? Here's a testimonial from another happy homeschool mom. Amber said, I'm absolutely thrilled with CTC math. It's a rare find that I've used with my children for more than five years now. I have six children using CTC math and each child has found it easy to navigate and very applicable. I love seeing them enjoy this math program and grow in their mathematical journey. Thank you so much for all that you are doing in providing quality math lessons for my children. If you're looking for a great online math program, visit ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. Hey everyone, this is Yvette Hampton. Welcome back to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. I am back today with Janice Campbell and we are talking about ways to teach our kids and how to help our kids to learn. Uh, Janice is part of our Meet the Cast lineup. We're so thrilled that she is part of the Schoolhouse Rocked movie. Um, And Janice, you got to see the movie, right? Absolutely, and I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, it's fun. It's so much fun, actually, sending out the movie to the people who are in it (laughs) and kind of waiting to see what their response is going to be like. Oh, it was okay. And some people are like, it was great, but I looked horrible. Or it was great, but you know, I, I, why did I wear that outfit? Or, you know, it's just so funny to see how people, and that was me. I mean, I still look at that movie. I'm like, why did I cut my hair short right before we filmed? And why did I wear that outfit that I wore? It's, but anyway, um, it's exciting. We are very happy, um, and, and honored to have you as part of the film. So, um, thank you for being part of it. Um, as we are talking about, ways to teach our kids. You know, I mentioned in the first episode that this is something that I, I I won't say I I struggle with it, but it's something that I feel like I'm always learning. I'm always trying to figure out like, how do I best teach my kids? And it changes every year. We just, at the end of the last episode, we were talking about how, you know, when our kids are little, it's easier to teach them in small chunks. And as they get older, it's easier to teach them in big chunks. And, um, as our kids grow, I think our we grow as well, and our, our teaching style changes and transforms a little bit along with our kids. And so it's kind of always, it's never this like, I've arrived and I've learned how to teach perfectly grades K through 12, right? It's a process. You're learning on the job. That's the right. whole, it's like with parenting, we learn on the job with parenting and we learn on the job with homeschooling. But thank goodness it evolves gradually. So you don't usually have these huge jumps and you don't have to make artificial jumps like waiting for the next school year and then doing something really different. You can just continue and make gradual tweaks and those gradual tweaks will continue to fit. And that's good because, you know, like the first thing we started with was mentioning that kids back in the olden days, as my boys used to say, (laughs) um, used to learn very naturally through mentors, models, Mm -hmm. and the great books. And they can still do that. Yeah, yeah. It's our job not to necessarily be the best teachers, but to cultivate those great students. Yeah. And you have, if I remember correctly, you have a list of some of the great books on your website. Like if we're going to, you know, go to the library and, or, you know, a bookstore online and find, you know, the 10, the top 10 greatest books we can read with or or to our kids. Um, You have a list of some of the great books that we could and should be reading to them, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Is that on your everyday education page? I have one list. uh, I have two lists on my excellence in literature website. Okay. Um, 
you know, one is a list of reading books for boys uh-huh. that are great. And another is a list of historical fiction, kind of arranged historical fiction, I think in biographies, arranged chronologically, okay. which is a really long list. Yeah. But then I also have for my excellence in literature, five years worth of classic literature that I think everybody should read. Yes. Okay. Good to know. And you, <laughs> it's funny that you have books to read with boys because you have only boys, you have no girls. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I grew up by myself with my grand, you know, with my grandparents, no brothers, no sisters. Uh-huh. And I, so I kind of always assumed I'd have girls because I had all these girl books. Yeah. From when I was young and I saved all the books, Yeah, you know, and happily, some of them were the kind of thing used in Charlotte Mason curriculum. So they right. were still read and even, you know, the boys even read some girl books, sure. but I sure found so many others while they were growing up because boys, sometimes some of them will take a little bit longer to start reading. Some of them sure. will want to read things with a little more adventure and uh, action and humor than girls seem to care about sometimes. And so books that appeal to boys are usually quite fun. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. The other day, um, Garrett walked into um, our, our room where we have our bookcases and he looked on top of the shelf. He said, do we have two sets of Little House on the Prairie? And I said, yes. He, and he said, why? And he goes, oh, I know why. He said, because you want one for each girl. And I said, yes. I said, I had one set and then someone offered me another set for free. And so I took it because my thought was, well, now I have one to send off with each of my girls. Because I've, right. I've said this lots of times on the podcast, if, if I were stranded on a deserted island and I could only take three books with me, it would be the Bible, the Little House on the Prairie series, because I consider that one book, right. and the Hiding Place. Like Those are my three top book choices. And so it just made sense to me that I would have two because, you know, how would I choose which girl to give it to? So now they each have right. their own set of Little House on the Prairie. It's the only book, you know, or book set that I have two of. Every other one, I only have one of, but that one, right. I just thought, oh, what a blessing and what a joy that I get to give one to each of them. So anyway, let's continue on. We were talking about some ways to teach, um, some effective yeah. ways to teach. So we talked about reading with focus um, and keeping our lessons short. And then we talked about um, choose an idea, choose one idea to ponder daily and then summarize that idea. Where do you go after that? So summarizing can take place on paper or mentally or verbally or whatever. Mm-hmm. So as you summarize, the fourth thing is think about the connections that you see in the things that you're summarizing. So think about not just the work that you're reading now, the book you're reading now, but think about how does this historical event, how does this person, how does this story connect with other things I've read, other things we studied. Okay. And again, it's encouraging the student to use their mind to think back to what they already know. Yeah. When you make those little connections, learning becomes stickier, stickier, stickier. They can, you know, you hook it to perhaps a really interesting field trip you took or a unit study or even just a conversation yeah. or another book and you remember more things. And so that's number four. Think about the connections. You know, I could see how even with little kids, I mean, you could start that with them itty bitty where, you know, if you're teaching numbers and colors, you know, maybe you're doing flashcards and teaching, you know, three um, as the number and yellow as the color. And then you go to the grocery store and you see three yellow bananas 
you can make that correlation with them. You know, look, there's one, two, three bananas and they're yellow. And, and so as you start that young and just move that along through their years, that makes a lot of sense because it really does help them to connect all of life and all of God's creation together and how life all works together. Absolutely. You know, I we had an example of that riding back from the beach with my daughter, two of my daughters-in-law and the two-year-old grandson. And we kept following, we kept went through a tunnel and there would be a sign that said 55 and he would say five. And then we would see another sign in yellow and he would say yellow. Oh, and man. his engagement with his world Mm-hmm. had been cultivated by making connections. And so those fives, those yellow signs, they all fit with, he has little, you know, blocks that have those colors and numbers. Right, right. All those connections start very, very young. Yep, yep, that's exciting. Build. Okay, all right, so think about connections. What would be the next thing? So number five, discuss what you're learning. Discuss it with someone. And sometimes homeschoolers are, they don't have anyone. They're an only child and that's fine. So what you do is you work with your learning journal. And I so encourage families to keep learning journals with drawings and maps and timelines and all of the things that you would normally notebook, keep it in a big sketchbook and finish your year with a learning journal that has examples of all the things you've learned and you flip through it at the end of the year, you've got an overview of learning. It's a delightful, delightful thing to do. So do you explain this learning journal to me? Because this is not something that I've ever done. I mean, you just gave us a brief explanation of it, but is do you put all of your subjects in it or do you just learn some of the things? It, t- talk about this. <laughs> Let's park here for a bit. Okay, yes. Learning journals, absolutely the most fun thing ever. At least if you like to write or draw or do anything like that. Um, sure. So yes, you put all the subjects in it and you just, each each subject go, you know goes on a new page You and the student chooses what to write or draw from the current lesson. So if it's a history, something from history, they might draw a timeline, a timeline of events and maybe say, if they are particularly interested in the types of armor they were wearing at that particular time, they could draw that and write a little bit about it. Um, an older student might be doing lab reports um, or writing down scientific information discoveries. You can also put in commonplace quotes, like if you wanna re- remember quotes from things you read, you can put in quotes and maybe a little bit about the book. Um, just an entire compendium of what you're learning through the year. It's okay. fascinating to page through these things. I've got some pictures of some that, you know, teens have done, not my teens, but other teens. And it's just amazing. Yeah. That's a great idea. I've actually not heard of doing a learning journal before, but that sounds like a lot of fun. I have one, one daughter who is just a great artist. She loves to draw. She's always drawing. (laughs) So funny. As a matter of fact, today I was looking at one of her, her books and she's there, there's a photo of someone and that photo of that someone now has a hat and glasses and hair and all the things. I'm like, can, she can't just leave the photo alone. She has to right. create something around the photo. It's so funny to me. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that drawing of the, all of that helps them helps them remember. If you write it, if you draw it, you're going to remember it. Especially yeah. when you're arranging it on a page in a way that pleases your eye. Right. And 
helps you remember. Yeah. Because typography, is. you know, making yeah. the important words bigger, you know, doing your best to make do careful work, it can be a delight. But the whole thing with a learning journal, it's a process and not a product. Right. You can't get stuck with a perfectionist thing. Right. You want to create beauty or you want to create just memories. Sure. And some kids are not going to have patience and be really great at making it look good. Right. But the process will help them learn. Right, right. That is a great idea. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. What we do at IEW is break through the, the noise of the grammar and the writing prompts. And we say, this is what you do step by step. And I've witnessed it over and over again, both watching Andrew teach and hearing from parents this is the best writing program. We've made it so easy and made it really affordable. So any mom can teach writing to their children using our course, and we guarantee it. To try three weeks of free lessons, visit IEW.com. We are back with Janice. Um, okay, so we talked about learning journals. What's next? Okay, number six is seek wisdom and understanding. Hmm. And the original writer of these t rules for study was a, he was a college professor. He was a Christian and he said, pray mm -hmm. about what you're learning and what does it all mean? How does it connect? And for small children, of course, that can be just a very simple thing, but older students, they're studying history and worldviews and science and all the things they can they can consider how to use it how to how to connect it how to think through it um but you're pondering and any you know yeah. marinating that within yourself yeah okay so seek wisdom and understanding as james chapter one tells us when we yes. ask for wisdom he will give it yes um, absolutely i think we forget to do that sometimes too i think we just kind of get into our groove and into our day and we forget to ask the lord to help us to learn the things that he wants us yeah. to learn, because everything we learn really should be learned for the purpose of drawing us closer to him and helping us to understand his creation and his character and who he is right. better, right? It's not yes. just for the sake of learning it so we can regurgitate facts. Absolutely and not. There was, um, there's a prayer that I really like written by, I think, St. Thomas Aquinas, who lived long, long, long ago in the 13th century. And he, his prayer is, um, to the creator of the universe, shed the light of your wisdom into the darkness of my mind, fill my thoughts with loving knowledge of you, mm. that I may bring your light to others, just as you can make even babies speak your truth, instruct my tongue and guide my pen to convey the wonderful glory of the gospel. Oh, I love and that. That's yeah. Just part of it. But I, that has always been something that I try to look at at the beginning of each day so that. I am in the right mindset to communicate. Yeah, yeah. I love others. that. And I love that he talks about sharing the light with others because it's really what we're to do. And that's the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. You know, we learn yes. about God. We learn who he is. Everything we teach our kids, we should be directing them towards him so that they can go out into his kingdom and share the good news of Jesus with others. Yes. But if we don't that's know him or understand him, it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. So And so it's just this step surprised me and you know this these rules of study for his college students and yet this is like the the penultimate step right or the ultimate step really because he what he added right after it 
that was that was the original six. And then he added right after it one more thing. Okay. Go outside and think as you walk by the, by the river, by mm-hmm. the, and you play, or you, you know, as you're outside, just go outside and be in creation and ponder. So that's step seven. Yes. Okay. Go outside, enjoy God's creation. Imagine the simplicity of that. <laughs> yes. And that's what I love about going back in history and discovering yeah. how people learned what was effective because what was effective then and created the minds that were, you know, we've talked about like the founding fathers or Leonardo da Vinci or others. They're doing these things. They're not doing multiple choice, fill in the blank worksheets. They were, these are the things they did. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks, that's a learning journal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And again, this goes back to, you know, the beginning, they don't, they didn't have all the distractions that we have today. You know, nowadays it seems like, you know, most kids and we, we have done a couple of uh, podcasts recently on just digital distractions and things like that. And the hours that kids spend on uh, their, their tablets and their phones and watching TV and all of the things that there are to distract them. Imagine all the stuff that they're missing out on. Yes, it's life that they're missing. Right, right. And it's so life. tragic. It is so tragic. Okay, we have a few minutes left for this episode, but I want to talk about one last thing really quickly. You talk about the importance of teaching penmanship. Yes. And 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 you you talk a little bit about the science um, behind that and how it develops the brain and all of the things, all of the benefits of teaching penmanship. Talk about that for a minute. Okay, there have been a bunch of studies done since, you know, keyboards have proliferated and the arguments about do we have to teach penmanship now everybody's got a keyboard you don't need to right and what they found is that kids retain more when they write because what they're doing when you take notes in a class for example you are re- you're summarizing yeah you're you're performing a physical action whereas even a student who a college student say who could sit in a classroom and transcribe word for word what a professor's saying there's no mental activity. It's going in one ear and out the other. And basically all they're doing is you can mindlessly transcribe. Right. But you're not engaging your mind in order to summarize, in order to retain, because choices have to be made when you're writing by hand. But plus, there's a great deal of history, literary literacy, historic, um, creative, intellectual history that is done in longhand. And the whole process of writing in longhand, as my grandmother used to say, does help you remember. And, and retain. when you say longhand, you're talking about cursive. It's cursive, but even even putting pen to paper in print. I okay. write, my personal style is more of a cursive italic, Okay. Um, just for my everyday writing. But I will switch it up and do what seems to fit with the text that I'm writing, because a lot of times I use it as part of my prayer life, Okay. copying a biblical text or... Um, you know, other things, because it is a very meditative practice. Yeah, yes. And it's communication. So learning penmanship and learning it so that it's easy Mm -hmm. and not physically hard and painful and distracting to the child helps them communicate better, ultimately. So how do we teach penmanship if, I mean, obviously, you know, when, when our kids are in kindergarten, we teach them, you know, how to write their ABCs. And so they typically know how to form the letters. Um, and until they get into the upper grades, you know, usually they write by hand, but it, it, is just writing it by hand 
enough or do we want them to be able to use italics or cursive writing or something that engages the brain even more? Because I know that there's lots of studies that go that that go along with cursive writing and things like that. Yes. And it is a beautiful skill to learn because it does tend to engage the brain. It connects because the letters are connected. Mm-hmm. You're connect your whole thought process becomes smoother and more connected. Right. Um, and there's satisfaction for a lot of kids in seeing something that is forming beautifully. And if you think back a hundred years, my grandparents did not learn to print ever. They were not taught to print in school. It was, you started with cursive and that's what you wrote because anybody could pick up printing. Right. Um, and as someone who taught calligraphy for a number of years, I think it's super important to have your children understand how to sit properly and hold mm-hmm. the pen properly and help themselves so that the physical part of writing is not a distraction. Right. Because if it's painful, it's not going to be practiced. Right. So how do you teach that? If we have a student who's maybe in middle school or high school and they don't have great penmanship and they don't sit properly and they don't have the, hold the pencil properly, how do you reteach that skill? Because I mean, that's a skill that, you know, you, I mean, I would say probably by the time a child is, you know, five or six, at least, if not younger, they hold their pencil or their crayon or whatever their writing utensil is the way that is most comfortable for them, even though it's not the proper way to do it. So how do you reteach that? Hopefully you'll have a chance to teach it correctly. The first time. Sure. Yeah, that is ideal because if you get a good curriculum, such as say cursive logic curriculum, Mm -hmm. it's somewhat that has been, you know, within the last few years developed, it teaches um, penmanship by letter, letter families, shape families. And so it, it helps, but each page reminds the student how to hold the pen and how to sit with their arm supported posture straight and it okay. makes such a difference in the penmanship but try to teach it correctly first sure and if they have learned a bad pen grip try to wean them through a series of depending on the age of the child mm-hmm. stars and stickers or yeah. <laughs> if it's an older student particularly someone who has an eye for beauty wean them with a calligraphy instruction book, mm. how to learn calligraphy, okay. because you have to sit well and you have to hold your pen well in order to be- do beautiful calligraphy and it's doable. Yeah. Okay. And you said it's called cursive logic curriculum. Yes. Okay. I'll yeah. put a link to that. I'm going to look that up and uh, put a link to that in the show notes as well. So we're out of time for this episode. We're going to come back tomorrow and tomorrow we are going to talk about teaching teens. Um, that's a whole nother topic. And this is one that I know that in um, our world today, there are a lot of people who have taken their kids out of school in middle school and high school. And that's a really scary thing uh, because, you know, you've not been teaching your kids since they were in kindergarten. You're just now jumping into this homeschool thing. And so we're going to focus specifically on um, how to bring your teenager home and teach them or how to teach them if you've had them home the whole time, because it really is a whole different world of teaching. So thank you, Janice, so much for joining me again today. Uh, people can find out more about you at everydayeducation.com. Right? Yes. Okay. That's correct. Sounds great. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you guys for joining us. Please be sure to share this with your friends and leave a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Bye.
Every year, parents just like you are discovering Classical Conversations, a vibrant, supportive Christian homeschooling program that's been equipping parents since 1997 with the resources, tools, guidance, and encouragement they need to homeschool their children with confidence and prepare them for a lifetime of success. Visit our website at classicalconversations.com to find a nearby community and learn more about homeschooling the Classical Conversations way. Classical Conversations. Christian homeschooling simplified.